literally my first thought was three weddings. <laughs> How am I going to pay for three weddings? Hey, Dad. Welcome into another edition of Hey Dad. I am Caleb Henry, and this has been a lot of fun so far over this first month or so. Got a few episodes out there, former Husker, um, some folks on television, also my dad from our fishing trip. So if you missed any of those, head over to uh, Spotify, to Google Podcasts, or our home base at KLIN.com, and you can listen back on any of those. If you enjoy them, give them a uh, five-star review or wherever you feel is fair, and share them so other folks might enjoy them as well, because I'm really enjoying hear from, hearing from you guys, um, especially some other folks who are about to be new dads. That's really fun with all of this, so keep sending those messages, and we'll keep conversing. You can find me on Twitter, at iCalebHenry, and always use that hashtag, HeyDad, and We'll have some more conversations, like the conversation we're about to have today is with another dad. You may have seen him on TV, on ESPN, Big Ten Network, also has a book, um, so kind of a little bit of everywhere, but you've probably seen him break into your, uh, sometimes watching some Indiana football classics or anything like that, especially here in Nebraska. Uh, we enjoy watching the Big Ten Network, but Dave Revson um, joins me on this edition of Hey Dad. Dave, how are you doing this afternoon? I am great. How are you, Caleb? I'm great. I am tired. <laughs> I think mo- a, a lot of dads can uh, can relate to that, but a lot of folks who work in our industry of uh, of sports in general as it gets into fall camp for college football and everything's starting to, to gear up. There, there's like an energy, but there's also an I'm already tired going into this feeling. Yeah, I think we all know that feeling. You're right. I'm I'm excited to begin our preseason camp tours. We actually start this coming week in Lincoln seeing the Oscars. We'll see all the week zero teams this week. So Nebraska, Northwestern and Illinois and and then just start grinding, which uh, is it is tiring. But man, it's, it's invigorating, too. It's so much fun this time of the year always gets me going and, and gets me charged up. So fired up, get going for sure. Right, and I think a lot of those, a lot of the words you use there describe being a dad. It's 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 invigorating. It's tiring at the same time. There's there's excitement because it feels like you're almost always at the the beginning of something. Whether they're a toddler, they're just starting school, they're just starting high school, college, their own family. There's there's always a, a beginning for something. Um, so for you, uh, where where are you at in your your dad adventure with your kids? We have three kids. They're all girls. Our oldest is going to be a junior in college. And then we have identical twins, which is a really interesting world <laughs> unto itself. And they are going to be seniors in high school. So we are pretty close to on a day to day basis, not having our kids here every day, which I think has my wife and I. I don't know. Um, I think a little melancholy. I mean, excited for them. They've all done really well in school and they're really nice kids. And, and you know, so we certainly feel a sense of accomplishment there, although, you know, in a lot of ways, their life adventure is, is just kind of beginning. But um, but also a sense of what in the world are we going to do now? I, I do think there's a little bit of that. And it, it definitely stops you in your tracks a little bit if for no other reason than it really it gets in your face a little bit about how old you are. And, right. and I think that's that's one of the things that you start confronting when you get to be my age. What were those emotions when you have got, you've already got one daughter, a couple years old, and you've, and you've learned you're having twins, 
and it's it's girls. So now you are more than just outnumbered, um, but they're they're showing up in waves. They're coming by twos now. Yeah, I'll never forget this day, Caleb. So my wife, our our first pregnancy, well, our oldest daughter. We randomly we were in a diner the week before our oldest daughter was born. And we ran into a friend of mine from college. This is when I was at ESPN. I didn't even know she lived in Connecticut, but she like comes up and says, Hey, oh my gosh. So they had just moved there like a year before and we start talking and I uh, introduced her to my wife, Michelle. And, and I said, you know, uh, Michelle's due with uh, our first child in, in two days. And she looks at her and she says, you are the least pregnant, pregnant person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so then you fast forward to the next pregnancy and I mean, you know, significantly different situation. And so we're about four months in and Michelle is um, she was 35. And so you're right at the cusp of when they might consider it to be a high risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So we went in to have, you know, where they do that, they take the amniotic fluid and, and kind of, you know, do some tests and, and whatnot on it. And the, the doctor the nurse rather, you know, kind of puts the paddles on and starts looking at what's going on with the the baby. And she stops and she says, well, we're not going to be able to do this amnio today. And Michelle and I kind of look at each other and we're like, why not? Your thought is there can't be something wrong with this kid. This kid is flourishing in there, right? <laughs> I mean, this kid is larger than her sister and she's still got five months to go. Uh, and she said, there are two babies in there. Mm. And we had just never given a moment of thought to that possibility. And so then she says, do you want, you know, I, I mean, I literally kind of like braced myself against the wall. I mean, I just kind of, you know, I, I really did not expect that at all. And she said, do you want to know the, the genders? <laughs> we hadn't known the gender on our oldest and we kind of were not planning on it, but we kind of said, yeah, I suppose we probably should. Like, we obviously have some planning to do. And she said, the first one's a girl and the second one's a girl. She said, I actually think they're they're identical. You can kind of tell whether, whether or not, like they're sharing one sack, two sacks, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, long story short, my initial thought, literally my first thought was three weddings. <laughs> How am I going to pay for three weddings <laughs> so uh but i'll say it's been an incredible gift i i really you always think I, I think one of the things i've always said with parenting i think it's a parenting truism you know it sounds like you're just starting on your journey but i'd be interested if other parents feel the same way you can never imagine it any different and and i definitely feel like growing up because i had a really special relationship with my dad and i certainly envisioned that i would have a son at some point and it hasn't come to pass. And yet I can't imagine. I, I love being a father of girls and it, it just really feels like I'm kind of cut out for it, maybe. And, and maybe I wasn't. It, maybe it was just kind of meant to be. So and, and that part of it's been really interesting and again, unexpected for me. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been quite a ride. It's been fun. That's a lot of the same feeling, Dave, that that I've had where. Obviously, when we found out that that we were having our first and it was, okay, like inside I'm going, all right, I got to have a boy. 
because I'm the oldest child and I've got two younger sisters. And so there's the selfish part of one, I want a boy because I feel like I can relate to that a little bit more. But two, if there's any other siblings, I know what it's like to be that, that oldest sibling where you're a little bit more of a protector. And if it's a boy, maybe I just feel a little bit safer about all of that. But over these, it's almost been two years. It'll be two years in October. Like, I just can't imagine a boy where, where Millie is. Like, like there's everything we do every day. It's about this girl. And yes, I'll go get her boy clothes because she just looks adorable still with the shorts that are way too big. Um, but everything about it is this is the way it's supposed to be. And we just got married. And so, yeah, I had that same thought, whereas we're going through all of our marriage prep, our wedding prep, was I'm going to have to pay for one of these. This is going to get expensive if we continue down this road. Yeah, you do think in those terms. I, I guess, uh, you know, I I, I kind of thought to myself, well, every time we're at like a really picturesque spot on a family vacation, right here at the top of a mountain somewhere, mm-hmm. maybe I'll just turn to all three of them and say, wouldn't this be a great place to elope? <laughs> Could be romantic, just you and your future spouse right here. Uh, but no, I, you know, look, I obviously it's, um, you just want, I, you know, it's the tritest thing in the world, but it really is true. You just kind of want to be happy and it, it is, I'm excited for you. It's fun to kind of, to start seeing the world a little bit through their eyes. And I think as, as kids get to the point where they're communicating more clearly, you spend a while looking at them and saying to yourself, man, I wonder what it is they're thinking. And then all of a sudden in this kind of torrent of verbiage, they let you know nonstop, right? Like you go from not having any idea what they're thinking to constantly knowing what they're thinking because they just won't stop talking about it. And, and that's the joy of it. So it's, uh, it, that, that is a, that's a great age. That's almost like an, a, an addictive age. I think two years old where it's so much fun to see them explore and experience the world and all its wonders for the first time. And she's watched enough. There's enough games that I cover while I'm just at home, so I have the TV on. And some of her first words, she'll say she'll say basketball. And I'm like, all right, cool, I get that. But you have to go to bed because this game didn't tip off till 8 o'clock. Um, or we've been going to uh, – we've gone to a few baseball games this summer with our local uh, um, independent league team, Lincoln Salt Dogs, and she knows baseball. And she gets really worried, though, when – when the guy strikes out because he swings and misses and he looks like he's in pain and she asks, is that okay? Okay? And we're like, yeah, he's okay. Just he didn't do great there. and that, So everything's going to be fine. Um, but as I understand it, you've got – there's a baseball connection with your family that goes to your father, and then you had that with your daughters as well. Yeah, you're right. Um, my father was a diehard Chicago White Sox fan, which is not the greatest existence as far as fandom goes, but was a vendor at the old Misty Park as a teenager. In fact, was a vendor in 1959 when the White Sox made the World Series and uh, still was, was bitter uh, for years about the fact that when the World Series hit, they called in the professional vendors from Wrigley Field to go along with the professional vendors at Comiskey Park, and they did not let the college vendors work for the World Series. So he was he was bitter about that his, his whole life. But uh, yeah, I diehard Sox fan, and and really one of the great 
highlights of my life. He was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, would have been in um, like 1993, I think, and passed away in 2007, right when I got the Big Ten Network job. Mm-hmm. But in 2005, we were still living in Connecticut. I was still at ESPN. And they came out to see Abby and Caroline. Our twins had just been born. And my parents came out for about a week. And it was a week where the White Sox were at Yankee Stadium and then at Fenway. <laughs> and he had never been to either park. And so we went to both stadiums together, saw them win in both places, and then capped things off that year by going to the World Series uh, and game two of that World Series, which was a rain-soaked affair. I mean, if it was a regular season game, they never would have kept playing it, but they did because it was the World Series. And Scott Pudsednik, who's one of the lightest hitting players on the team, hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth for the Sox to win. It was really an unbelievable moment. It was, I think, the most indelible sporting event image of my lifetime, just being there with my dad and watching just the sheer joy and walking back in the parking lot afterwards, having him say, I think that might be the best sporting event that I've ever attended. And sadly, it'd be the last one that we ever attended together. Mm -hmm. But uh, to your point, my oldest daughter, Meredith in particular, when we moved back to Chicago when the Big Ten Network launched, she started watching the White Sox with me. And I wrote a piece in the New York Times about our uh, watching the White Sox together and kind of passing it on that um, that gene, maybe a defective gene, but <laughs> the gene <laughs> of White Sox fandom uh, to her. And she's still uh, she is still devoted. I mean, she's going to be a, a junior in college and she'll still say to me, hey, you want to watch the Sox tonight? You know, when she's home over the summer. So. So it's been pretty cool. And yeah, it's definitely been a, it's a huge thread binding my father and me. Sports in general, a huge thread binding us. He was a huge college football fan as well and would have gotten such joy out of the Big Ten Network. And it's really one of the great sadnesses of my life that he literally died as I was being offered the job. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it really is a, it's really a shame. It's it's really quite sad. But, but again, something that, that really connects me to him and, and connects me to, to all three of my kids. All of my kids are, are sports fans, but Meredith in particular is just mm-hmm. into it. That sounds like a fantastic 2005 um, to have, besides just that, that one week of being able to go to those two iconic stadiums, um, capping it off with the World Series. And then, like you said, that, that was the, uh, the last time you guys got to go to a sporting event together. What what are the what are the early memories for you revolving around sports and the connection with your father? Well, the earliest memories are difficult ones because we went and uh, witnessed perhaps the the worst team in the history of major sports together. Uh, my father was a college professor, so I was born in Champaign. He was teaching at the University of Illinois, mm-hmm. and then uh, he got a job at his alma mater, which uh, was Northwestern. And so we moved up to Chicago in 1972, I think, when I was three. And then uh, he spent a year in Madison as a visiting professor, but then went back to Northwestern for the rest of his career. And in 1975, uh, which was uh, I was six, he got season tickets for football. And for those Nebraska fans who might not be familiar with that era of Northwestern football, I always say to say they were bad is an understatement. They, they to be bad was a compliment for them. They, they would have, you, you know, like 
that was overstating how good they were. They were horrific. I mean, they were absolutely terrible. They won the first two games I went to in 1975. And then at one point I knew the stat, but I think they won like three of the next 73 games or something. They lost 34 games in a row, famously the longest losing streak in major college football to this day. And we were season ticket holders. And you just can't even imagine the carnage. Like, I can't really state people who didn't see them. Like, you think you know bad football, but you really don't know what bad football is, Caleb, <laughs> until you saw the mid to late 70s, early 80s Northwestern Blackheads. They were just pitiful. And it really pained my dad, honestly. It, it really, because when he was in school in the early 60s, they actually, his senior year, they were number one in the country for mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks. Eric Arcesia was the coach, and they were really good. And even as as late as the early 70s, they had a couple teams where they finished second in the Big Ten, and um, Alex Agassi was the coach, and they had some really good teams. And then for a variety of reasons, really kind of institutional negligence, it just kind of fell off the deep end and, and was horrible for 20 years until Gary Barnett revived it in the 90s. So, so those are my earliest memories. So between that and then we went to White Sox games, and, and they were terrible too. Really, all Chicago sports teams were really bad when I was a kid. So it was. We did not see. We did not have any happy moments <laughs> attending sporting events. But it was still the the thread that that bound us together for sure. Do you think that made when when you got to two thousand five made that moment so much so much more powerful for your connection that that there was all of the success that you guys had gone to not just one sport or one team, but there had been a lot of not great years. And then there, there's the pinnacle for the sport of baseball that you guys get to experience together. Oh, for sure. And I'd say there were three kind of pinnacles. Uh, interestingly, all in years that ended in five, right? The 85 <laughs> Bears mm-hmm. were, a, were a pinnacle. We were certainly big Bears fans. We didn't really go to games much together. Uh, but we would watch the Bears religiously every Sunday. And so the 85 Bears were, as you know, one of the great yeah. history of the NFL and and that was a ton of fun. The '83 White Sox uh, won their division and uh, you know made the playoffs, and that was fun. But but the '85 Bears were the first you know, championship that we witnessed together. Uh, the '95 Northwestern team uh, being at that Rose Bowl together, that whole deal was just. I mean, that run was because it was so out of nowhere. They had 24 losing seasons in a row, and so to to watch them go from a laughing stock to getting to the Rose Bowl, that was unbelievable. And then the 05 White Sox. So, so yeah, I do think like in general, as you, when you're a sports fan, I think if your team wins all the time, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't know what that was like. I guess, you know, the Bulls in the 90s mm-hmm. were, were that in, in Chicago and you, you had the best team and it was a lot of fun and you always wanted them to win every year. But, but it's just different. I mean, like the 05 White Sox, man, that was just different. And, you know, again, the 85 Bears, 95 Northwestern, those because you you just those teams had kind of meant nothing but pain, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know they they kind of break through and and so yeah it, um you know all those I think to you have had those moments those are those are really sweet with you and Father. There are a lot of Nebraska families that are it, it works a little bit the other way here where they've grown up and all of the connections with their parents are about how good Nebraska has always been. Obviously, right. it, it, it's been a little bit harder over this past decade, especially the last five years, but it's always there's a connection to the past that comes with going to games with your parents. When I talk with my dad, his uh, my grandparents had season tickets to Nebraska basketball, which that doesn't exactly have a rich history, but right. there, there were some good years in the Big Eight. 
And so my dad has those memories with them. Um, and with my own dad, I was able to, uh, to come over to the Devaney Center a few times and watch some games and obviously Memorial Stadium um, during some – it was post-Frank Solich, so they were never like great years <laughs> that I got to have as in my growing up. But there is that connection that you just feel in the state of Nebraska – with the former Nebraska. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. One of the things that I have found really interesting about Nebraska, and I would say this is true to a certain extent of Iowa as well in the Big Ten, is they're the biggest thing in the state. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they really are. I mean, I had the first uh, chance for the first time this, this summer. I was in central Nebraska playing some golf at some unbelievable courses there. And to really understand the vastness of the state. Dave, that's my Just, backyard. I grew up in central Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it's got some open area. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. We were in the Sand Hills. It's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. But I think I just didn't understand. Like, you you understand it. I mean, you look at a map, you're like, oh, it's a big state. But mm-hmm. to just kind of to really comprehend, like, wow, we drove five hours west of Omaha, and there's still a lot of state to go before yes. he gets Colorado, right? <laughs> and to understand, like, kind of the way that, that the Huskers connect to people. And again, I, I think it's true in Iowa. Obviously, if people are Iowa State fans as well. And so it's not that there's just one team. But the Hawks are the biggest team for yeah. sure. That's been really cool to me. I mean, I think one of the things that, that just has been incredibly gratifying about being at the Big Ten Network is to hear people's stories, hear what all of these schools mean to people. And I think that's part of what makes the Big Ten so special is there's such pride in the schools. But but I do think unique is an overused word, um, but it's there is a uniqueness to the Nebraska experience, again, just because of how vast the state is, how sparsely populated it is outside of a couple of, of metropolitan areas and, and how much they dominate the the coverage and, and the, the passion. So I get it. I mean, I get it with Nebraska. And, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously, look, we have a, a vested interest in Nebraska getting good again, <laughs> but I certainly empathize with the fans who are, hey, this was, you could count on this every year. This was something that gave you great pride Mm-hmm. In, in an area where I, I think the truth of the matter is, and I think this is true of a lot of the Midwest, like the rest of the country doesn't think about us all that much here in the Midwest, right? right. Like for a lot of people, our, the region of the country that, that we all live in is a little bit of an afterthought. And, and so I think to have really strong teams, again, I think that's Indiana basketball. I think it's Nebraska football and Iowa and Wisconsin and all these places that we know are incredibly special, but the rest of the country, for whatever reason, doesn't. And, and it gives you this incredible pride to, to, hey, we've got the best, you know, Nebraska was the best team in the 90s, the best team in the country. And they were synonymous with winning. And I think that's true in Alabama, too, and a lot of these places that, right, where where the college team is the biggest thing in the, in the whole state. 
Um, and, and I get it. Like, I get why it's frustrating to Huskers fans, and, and I hope they're on the verge of getting it turned around. There's obviously an, an economic impact that, that comes from teams being successful. Um, Columbus has done pretty well over the last few years um, in a couple of different sports. But, but here in Lincoln, you, you, you can see what it's like when, when the teams are successful. But more importantly than that, there's just something about a mental positivity when the teams are doing well. For, for the state of Nebraska this last year, I, I saw a lot of it with the, the parents that I know and then the dads that have that sport connection with their daughters and what Nebraska athletics did this last year with the, how well the volleyball team did, a national runner-up, the basketball team making the, uh, the NCAA tournament and the Big Ten semifinals in, in their tournament, softball making the, the regional round but having their run through the, the conference tournament and winning that conference title. There were so many more times I was seeing on social media, and maybe I'm just more cognizant of it now because I'm a dad and a girl dad, is the the number of folks posting about that connection that they have with their daughter and then they have with the Nebraska team. So yeah, football obviously can controls the, the narrative in the state, but there's a lot that happened over these last 365 days for women's sports in Nebraska that I think really drove home some of those connections with dads and daughters. Caleb, this is such a cool part of raising kids at this time, raising girls in particular at this time. It's because, I mean, I don't want to date myself. I'm 53 years old, but I think back to when I was a kid, we had some girls who were great athletes in the town I grew up in. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. I mean, you know, a a fairly populous and a place that liked to believe it was ahead of the curve in terms of opportunities for, for girls. And there was no soccer league for the girls. The, the girls who were who wanted to play soccer, organized soccer, played with the boys. No softball, none of that until you got to high school. So if you wanted to play, you played little league. Now I think about all the opportunities for my girls, and and not just for them to play, but as you say, to be fans too. I mean, you know, we lived for ten years in the state of Connecticut, and I mean, the UConn women are a bigger deal than the UConn men. They just are. Even when the UConn men were winning national championship, UConn women are a bigger deal. And, and I just thought that was incredibly cool. And had we stayed, I am confident that my girls would have been into that. And now I mentioned my oldest, a huge White Sox fan, and she actually isn't a huge fan of women's sports. But the twins are. They love the U.S. women's national soccer team. Awesome. I mean, they watch – Every game, they watch the friendlies against these countries that will beat nine to nothing. <laughs> they love it. They're obsessed with it. I worked with Julie Foudy on the World Cup in, in 1998 when I was at ESPN. I hosted the World Cup. I've kept in touch with Julie. She's amazing and just an incredible role model for, for young women. And I got for one of my daughters an autographed soccer ball from Julie oh. for the holidays this year. And, I mean, she was over the moon <laughs> at how cool that was. And and so I do think, like, you want to talk about really awesome developments for young women. I think the participation in sports and the opportunity to participate and, you know, kind of these Title IX uh, babies, if you will, um, but also – that they have female role models that they can look up to and that that is seen as something to strive for. I I just think it is maybe among the coolest developments in sports in in my lifetime. It is really wonderful to see. And then you see some of those places, like obviously talking Nebraska volleyball, but the uh, the Devaney Center sold out. You talked about 
um, Iowa, but when when they obviously Iowa's had some good women's basketball teams, but they sell that place out. Like it, the the support that goes to women's athletics makes me so happy that my daughter is going to have these opportunities to not just be the well the guys have some sports so the girls need to go out there and do it too but but there's the support for it and that that's one of the things that makes me most encouraged going forward that there are the opportunities out there it is incredible talking to these female athletes in the big 10 we started a new show this past year big 10 today which was a daily show And one of the goals of it was we felt like we weren't highlighting Olympic sports to the degree that we could. And so now you had this um, kind of daily forum where if we wanted to have guests on, we can do it, you know, men or women. But but just kind of talking, we had a place to talk for 12 minutes about women's soccer Mm -hmm. or field hockey or, you know, for that matter, men's hockey or, you know, some of these other sports. We just don't talk about that much. But to talk to, you know, to talk to Caitlin Clark, just to use an example, about what it was like to walk out, run out of the tunnel of Carver Hawkeye for a sold-out game, and to, to understand what a phenomena she is in, in Iowa City and in the state kind of writ large, and to hear her talk about it, I mean, it's just amazing. And you can tell it means a ton to these young women. Again, I know, as you say, it's a similar story at Nebraska with volleyball and women's basketball and you can kind of go through the league and, and there's really amazing support and the volleyball is off the charts good in the Big Ten the women's basketball is getting better even sports like you know field hockey where the top four teams in the country were all from the Big Ten and uh, we had a national champion this year and and just the the support that those teams got not at the same level but but still special for them to have a few thousand fans out watching and and to be hosting NCAA regionals and whatnot. I, I just, again, I think these are amazing developments. So, and, and it's about to get even deeper in the conference with the addition of UCLA and USC. Um, and I know there are days that you guys have to, to break in with major, uh, major announcements like that. Obviously your daughter's being a little bit older. That's probably an easier, Hey, I, I got to go to work conversation, but what what has that been like through the years when stuff does come down that that you've got to take off out the door you've got to get to uh, you've got to get on the air or they just know that there's going to be some longer days especially Saturdays for you. I think the bigger issue it's not even so much the breaking news although I did when USC and UCLA when that was announced I was supposed to leave that day to go on a college tour <laughs> with our twins and we knew something was going down we weren't exactly sure what but my bosses did ask me would it be okay if she didn't come with them and so they went without me and, and hey that I you know that's just the life we've always known frankly mm-hmm. um, I think the hardest part is the weekends. Yeah. Just as an example, one of my daughters is uh, a very good field hockey player, and their field hockey team made it to the state championship game in Illinois um, last fall. And I was able to get to the state semifinal where they pulled a huge upset to make the championship game. And I couldn't go to the championship game. I had to watch a, a stream of it in our green room while we were watching on a football Saturday, and it bummed me out. I mean, it was the pinnacle of her athletic career, yeah. no question. And and to not be able to be there. Um, the flip side is I get a lot of time in the summer and, uh, you know, if one who plays travel soccer in the fall, I never get to go to any of those games. 
But her high school games in the spring, I get to go to pretty much every one, including the road games. So <laughs> I think they're just trade-offs, and and my kids understand it. it, it they don't know anything different in that life. And, and so maybe that's part of it. But I do think that they cherish when I'm able to be there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my wife does a great job of if, if I can't be there, she goes. And sometimes, obviously, we, we go together as well. But our kids know that they are loved and that, um, you know, we wish we were able to, to be at everything. But the nature of my job just isn't. And, I, you know, Donato always has this line where uh, his son, if his son said he was disappointed that, that Jerry couldn't be home, uh, his wife would always say, do you like that when you hit the light switch that a light goes on? <laughs> and, and Mike, his son, would say, yeah, I like that. She said, well, if, if you want that to continue, dad's got to go to work. You know, like, <laughs> that's just the way it is. And there, it, 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 there are some jobs that are that way. And um, I think they know that I'm passionate about what I do. And I think they understand that there's value in that. And that's something to strive for in life. And that, hey, it doesn't always work out exactly the way you want it to be with your parents able to be at, at every sporting event. But but when they're there, they're there. And, um, you know, that's what you do. So I talked about this with my dad um, when I recorded with him, which was so fun to just, as part of all of this, where I'm learning from people, their own stories uh, of being dads, getting to talk to my own father was a lot of fun. But my parents combined where there wasn't one person, one of them, at one of my games growing up. It happened one time. I was very fortunate with them, both as teachers and coaches, that they, they found a way, and me and my younger sisters, there was always one parent at whoever sporting event it was going on. But the one time they both weren't there, I went 7 for 11 from 3 and had 28 points in an 8th grade <laughs> game. And I was like, you know what? Maybe you guys shouldn't come around more. Um, and that we'll we'll see where this goes. But I was very fortunate growing up to to always have them there. Um, and I know that's it's not impossible, um, but but it, it is a reality in, in where we are in 2022 that there might be some times where I know going forward I might not be at at some of Millie's Millie's events because of the nature of the job, like you said. And um, I, I was so happy to go on that fishing trip with my dad. But I tell you what, as soon as my daughter saw me in the parking lot, we got off the bus, I got a really big hug. So there, there are some, some moments where I know she recognizes, even now, not quite two years old, that daddy was gone for a little bit, but now he's back. And she's been really attached to me the last couple of weeks, I think, because of that. Yeah, I just think, I, I don't know, I, I think it's important to tell your kids that you love them, right? You kind of love them unconditionally. And whether or not you're able to be present for every moment, you have to be present in every moment that you're there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think, uh, the, look, life, I, I think it's important for them to understand that, like, sometimes life takes you in directions where if you had your druthers, I mean, look, if I could have had it my way, would I have gone to the state championship game and not hosted football Saturday. Yeah. I mean, of course I would have, but, but my job is, is to host those days. And, and I love it. I mean, you know, there's almost always nowhere in the world I'd rather be. However, you know, I've missed weddings and I've missed huge family events and all that kind of stuff that, um, now I guess you, you'd like to be at, but, but I think the lesson to me is, and it was one thing that I struggle with and, and that I really trying to be very conscious of, and especially in this day and age where you've got your phone and all these different ways that you can be distracted, 
is to be present when you are present, to ask questions, to engage in conversation, to let them know that you're there, but you're there and you care, right? You're not just physically there, you're there emotionally. And so I I don't know. I mean, again, uh, maybe they'll tell their therapist someday, you know, (laughs) you know, we played in the state championship game and my dad couldn't be there because he was, you know, doing halftime of the whatever Indiana, Maryland football game. (laughs) You know, I'm sorry. Like that's the way it is. And, uh, but, but man, you know, we were all in that green room and Jerry and Howard and Joshua were, asking me how it was going and you know, I was keeping them up to date. And, um, you know, I was, no one was more fully engaged in, in wanting her, her team to win, which unfortunately they didn't, uh, than, than me. But that's one of those connections. You, you're, you're not there, but you're, you're, you're mentally wanting to be there for your daughter and the other people around are as engaged in that. That's one of the things that I, I found when I'll post something to social media, Millie will do something. She'll, she'll, say something funny or she'll climb something on the playground she hadn't been able to climb before. And I'll talk with people away from social media in person, and they are as engaged in wanting to follow those accomplishments too. Um, and, and so there, there are those things you get with with your workplace family that they want to know how much your kids are doing and being successful as well. Um, by the way, I really like that, being present when you're present. Um, that's, that's definitely going to be something that, that, that I remember going forward. What was something that, that you remember a big lesson from your own father as, as you were growing up? I think probably the biggest thing I got from my dad was work ethic. Mm-hmm. He was a tireless worker. Um, you know, the academic world is a really interesting world. Uh, it is one where when you have tenure, which he did, um, you know, uh, in some ways you're, you know, you're, you're sad, right? But so much of his job was about, he was a business school professor and it was about consulting and uh, going and work, you know, kind of, he was accounting professor and so he would go do a lot of training seminars for, um, for, you know, companies. He traveled all over the world and, um, and to see like the level of preparation that he put into everything that he did even though he did, like, he had the ultimate job security, right? I mean, the man has had an academic tenure, but it just mattered to him. He was such a meticulous preparer and so detail-oriented, and I absolutely have gotten that from him, like, kind of caring about everything you do and understanding that um, even though for you it might be something you've done many times, for the people that you're presenting it to, in his case, students, in my case, viewers, for them, this is the first time they've seen it or heard it. And and so you need to kind of be ready to go and, and always kind of be on your A game. I think that's one of the biggest things that, that I got from him. He's a great dad and he cared and he was engaged and he was really funny and just, he was, he was a fascinating, brilliant human being and, and, and taken far too soon. But but I think like kind of if, if what part of me is attributable to my dad, I, I think the biggest thing by far would be my work ethic. And if your if your daughter's got one thing from you, is that that the the one thing you you hope that they uh, they take away from from having you as a dad? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Is that the one thing that I hope? 
Um, yeah, it's a different question than I thought you asked. Is that the one? Uh, what do I hope they got for me as a dad? I, I don't know. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to care, mm-hmm. is to really be engaged and um, to let them know that you just, I, my, my thing I said, have said to all of them, like kind of a significant life milestones for them is just be the best version of yourself. And whatever that is, to, to know at the end of the day that you've done the best you could do and whatever it is you tried to attack today to be the best friend, to be the best student, to be the best employee, to be the best significant other, whatever it is, did you strive to do your best at it? And I don't know that I always do that, Caleb. I mean, that's my goal, I think, but, but am I always the best colleague? I don't know. I mean, you know, ours, as you know, is um, it can be a very stressful business. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you always at your best in the workplace? I'm not sure, but, but I want to be. And if I'm not, it bums me out. Am I always at my best at, at home around the dinner table? No. You know, there are times I'm thinking about, oh, man, I got to work on this interview or I got a game tomorrow night and I haven't done my charts yet or whatever it might be. Um, it, I, I think there's just a human nature to, to getting distracted. But, but I think just kind of this notion of be the best version of yourself, somehow I've imparted that to them, whether it's through words or through actions, I would feel pretty good. Well, Dave, I, I appreciate uh, all of that there because this is, as you and I talked before we started the, the recording here, selfishly a lot of this is me trying to take advice from people who've been there, done that, um, you, you've got a, a couple year head start on me, so I, I, I appreciate a couple. <laughs> a couple. Well, like you said, when you were saying you, you didn't want to age yourself on yeah. what games you had gone to, I'll do the courtesy there and just say a couple years um, ahead of me. But I, I appreciate all that. I, I really appreciate as well the the being present when you're present. I think that that's great advice for everyone right now with how easily accessible. Just being able to mind wander on on our phones, whether it's any social media, playing a game, whatever it is. So um, that's Dave Refson. You can find him on Twitter at BTN Dave Refson. You can also probably just turn on your television and you'll see him there sometimes. So uh, so Dave, I really appreciate all of your uh, all of your time with this one. And man, I, I, I just hearing the stories about your dad. Your dad sounded like a, a wonderful person, and and you've taken a lot of that and transferred that to your daughters as well. Thanks, Caleb. This was an absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for thinking of me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at iCalebHenry. Use the hashtag HeyDad if you've got suggestions for the show or dads you'd like to hear from. And remember, because we all love to hear it, whether it's your dad, your dad's dad, a dad figure, a mom that handled the dad stuff, or just a dad you appreciate, the best time to call is right now and just say, Hey, Dad. <laughs>